Welcome to the Unscientific Method, where we unpack the research and lives of young scientists doing amazing things all around us. I'm your host, Beth, and today I'm super excited to have Conan Lee with us. Conan is a current graduate student in science education. He's studied physics and psychology and has great passion in the research and practice of science edutainment with movies. When working on science outreach with Let's Talk Science, he makes videos on YouTube relating science to pop culture. His channel is called Phi Psi Film. Phi for physics, psi for psychology, and film for film. Okay, so I'm super excited to have you here. My partner is constantly watching science YouTube videos, and so I've caught a whole bunch of them, um, and we're always talking about these different videos that people have put out to talk about all these different topics in science, and often they're really incredible and really well done. Um, and I'm really excited to kind of dive into some of the intricacies of, of what works in these videos and what some of these kind of details going into their structure is and how much it matters for for students to learn um and so so let's start off by tell would you tell us a little bit about your research yeah so what my research is actually doing is uh, previously i did look at what others people have done so there are actually a lot of research on uh trying to education trying to educate people using movies but there's actually most of them are in person in class so, for example, a professor uh, in college or a teacher in high school will try to incorporate movies in their lessons, trying to show a film, and then try to see if these films will actually help gauge students' interest. Now, a lot of research does show that, okay, it will increase student interest, but it gets me thinking, how does it affect their learning? So what I start to think about is because nowadays it is very popular for us to go online, check something out, because a lot of things we learn are from online. We go on Google. YouTube is the second most popular search engine after Google, which is where I learned a lot of physics when I was in undergraduate as well. So um, it makes me get to think oh, how these science videos on YouTube might facilitate um, the for informal learning of STEM which is not just science, but the tricky part is what if they incorporate popular culture in particular movies, which is something that I'm super passionate about. Very cool. So, so the idea is that we know that incorporating pop culture is something that engages students more in the class. And do we know that in YouTube as well? Not particularly. So okay. research haven't done that yet, but, um, I wouldn't be surprised that it also increased uh, people's interest when they talk about uh, they talk about science using movies online. Okay, and then your focus is: can we actually see whether the incorporation of pop culture improves learning? So you've got improved engagement, and now we're trying to see whether it improves learning specifically. Well, we're trying to see how it could possibly facilitate that. I wouldn't say it would necessarily improve people's learning because sometimes learning isn't something that can be immediately observed, right? Yeah. It is like I learned something, but it can be something at the back of my mind. It could simply be these learnings uh, could be something that they internalized, but when they try to, for example, they tell others about it or they write a comment about it, these sources may have indications of what they have actually taken away subconsciously. 
Very cool. Okay, so that leads into my next question on how do you actually look at this? So so you're going in and you're finding different YouTube videos that some have pop culture references and some don't have pop culture references. Um, and then you want to see how well people, how, how well it facilitates people's engagement. Yes. So um, we're not looking at m a lot of videos because it really takes a lot of time. So uh, what for my research, I only focus on two videos in particular. And what I did was we look at um, we look at for these videos, for one, it incorporates popular culture, for the other, it doesn't. Now, I'll actually give you an example because I'll probably be just more like a shout out for this channel. One channel is called Because Science, which is a big channel with over, I think, 1.5 million subscribers. And the other is Up and Atom, which is around 50,000, 500,000 subscribers. So they're both very uh, professional channels that are being made. Now, the difference is that because science is a channel that focuses on a lot of pop cultures, including movies, comics, and whenever they talk about the science, these movies become the context of it. Now, for Up and Adam, they're just purely about science. Nothing about movies, nothing about pop culture. Now, I found one particular scientific topic on physics about quantum tunneling, and both of these channels have a video on quantum tunneling as well. Now, what I'm looking at is because for Because Science, they're using movies. And the movie they chose for this is Harry Potter, which is where in the first movie, there's that famous scene where they're trying to be at the King's Cross station for, and they're trying to go to the platform nine three quarters, right? Yeah, yeah. When, they, when they're trying to like push their carts. Push yeah, their yeah. car. And so they were trying to use that as an analogy. Can they actually pass through the wall and get into that uh, platform. So, oh my God, that's so cool. yes, yeah, so this is how the uh, actual videos are actually asking. It is saying, can we pass through a wall like in Harry Potter? So uh, it actually frames the entire question completely versus the other channel for Up and Adam. Their video is simply called, what is quantum tunneling exactly? So these two questions, these two videos both talk about quantum tunneling, how we frame the question how we frame the content becomes different. How do you tell, like, what are you, what are you extracting from the comments that tells you that somebody has learned something or is it just trying to find different kind of words within the comments that are, hey, this person's been engaged and this is how the movie helped it. Uh, I'm curious about what do you, what do you look for in these comments? So I'm trying to do it in a more systematic way. So what I'm trying to do is I first categorize them. Okay. Because a lot of uh, previous research have done a lot of categorization for YouTube comments and then try to revise from their previous models, get a system that I think works for me, and then try to categorize them. And interestingly, from my uh, presentation to my supervisor yesterday, there are some statistics. I wouldn't say it is a very rigorous statistical difference, but it's, a, it's an observable pattern between these two videos. Like, okay. For example, for the one that doesn't use popular culture, people giving, most of the comments are really about the scientific discussion over there. They're giving out scientific information and requesting for scientific information. Mm. While as for the other one on, um, on Because Science, which is the one that talks about Harry Potter, a lot of comment talks about how people are speculating how this could possibly happen with using movie logic. 
Mm, or somebody, oh, oh, you're a muggle and you will not be able to pass because it is a hidden portal of magic. Something like that. Okay. Yeah. I see. Um, does I have to ask? Does the outcome of that quantum tunneling discussion around Harry Potter passing through the wall? Is it did quantum tunneling make it possible for him to pass through? What was the outcome of of the scientific? Okay, so you <laughs> want to know the answer to this question? Yeah. So, well, can he actually pass through? Okay, yeah, so yeah. interestingly, quantum tunneling is something that we are, that is observable in our daily life. Actually, oh wow! Even in the sun, the sun is actually making use of quantum tunneling to do nuclear fusion. Okay. Yes, but quantum tunneling happens in the quantum world. It is not something that happens. In daily life, like you and me, cannot necessarily pass through a wall. Okay. But what it is suggesting is that there's a chance、oh. that this can actually happen. Oh, interesting. But this chance is so small that it will prob possibly never happen. Oh, I see. Okay, so I'm gonna have to go watch this video now because it seems really cool, and I love Harry Potter, and so. <laughs> yeah, and you, if you if you look at if you look at the comments, there's actually some people. Uh, one pattern that one, one pattern that I observed from the from the preliminary analysis is that there are a lot of people leaving jokes on the because science channel possibly because it's about pop culture it's more fun people are more in a casual leaving comments in a more casual manner a lot of jokes but these jokes for example I'm not sure if you've watched a movie called Dumb and Dumber by.、Uh, Jim Carrey, a long、uh, time yeah, ago. long, long time ago, I saw this, and it yeah, was yeah. like he was asking this girl, like, "Oh, so what is the chance between you and me?" And the girl was like, "Possibly like one in a million." And、okay. then he goes like, "So you're telling me there's a chance?" Yeah. <laughs> so people, a lot of people are leaving this joke on the comment,、oh, referencing to this other movie, but it shows that they already learned something about quantum tunneling. Yeah, that, that is, it is very, very unlikely. But is there still a chance? Oh, <laughs> that's amazing! That's oh, that's so cool to think about how kind of you're using pop culture to figure out those little, little details about how somebody has learned something. That's really really cool. Yeah, is it difficult to? I mean, you've got all these different comments to go through. Is it difficult to categorize them in the first place? Is there a lot of overlap between the kind of things that people are saying, or the comments are? I mean, you described how the comments are so different between the videos, but within a given video,、um, are the comments difficult to categorize? So what I did is I uh, first um, categorized them by relevance. Okay. So I would say. If it is something that is directly relevant and could possibly contribute to a scientific knowledge construction or a scientific discussion, and the second type is still not as relevant, but they are still related to the you know the movie scene or the video itself. So that's the second category. I would just call it like indirect relevance. Now the third one is I just called nonsense or spam. <laughs> People just leave in comments that doesn't make sense.、Okay. I cannot categorize them. Or simply something that's completely irrelevant because there's another particular thing that I observe because for the up and atom,、um, that host is a young lady who is beautiful, and a lot of people just comment, "Oh, you're so beautiful, I love you."、Mm. These kinds of comments are not necessarily very valuable to my research, so、yeah. I just categorize them as okay, like unrelated. Yeah, so after this category, I'll have to do more. For example, I have to categorize them. Oh, is it a person giving an opinion, or receiving an opinion, asking for advice, or 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 giving an advice, 
And there could be more. For example, it could be a compliment to the to the to the video creator. It could be a criticism, and it could also be a joke or a story or a lot more things. So、mm-hmm. when I was making that coding of coding scheme, it did really take me quite some while because it keep changing when as I go through the comments. But as I went through、uh, more and more up to like I think I did twenty percent and was like seven hundred. Oh my gosh! Or like, yeah. yeah. I think I think my coding scheme is already sort of like fixed for now. Hopefully, it doesn't change as I continue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it, I do allow that. I do, I do allow that flexibility in case I would like to change it in the future, or more themes come up, which will be valuable、uh, to note down. Mm-hmm. Is there any research that's done things like this where you've got kind of a structure that you can follow from before, or is this something that you've kind of con- completely constructed on your own? So the original scheme that I adapted was a.、Uh, it was probably the first scheme that was used to categorize YouTube comments, but it categorized all sorts of videos.、Mm, so、okay. it could be about beauty channel, vlogs,、mm-hmm. anything news. So. Their scheme is huge. Oh, I'm sure. They have sure, like forty-eight、yeah. or forty-something categories, but I wouldn't need that much, and not all of them are relevant. So I just reduce them, revise them until I get the one that I really want. That makes sense. Yeah. How did you get into this? This is such a it's such a cool niche area of research,、um, and I'm yeah I'm curious. Is it through YouTube mostly? Is it through love of movies? Is it through love of education? It's through the love of all, I would、oh, say,、awesome. because I would say it's personally very relevant to me because I personally do make science videos on YouTube and I do incorporate movies or pop culture in my on my channel. So that's exactly what I'm doing. But because my channel is not、uh, as popular as the big channels, there are not just not enough comments that I can look into for my own own channels.、So、I have to go for the big ones and make comparison.、Mm-hmm. But I think the very the original reason that I wanted to do this is that as a kid, I just really love movies. It helped me learn a lot. It actually got me into physics in the first place. Is because the science in the movies. Are just so cool, and that movie is two thousand and eight, the first Iron Man. Oh, amazing! That's so cool. I was about to ask. I was like, is there a specific movie that you're? It is、at? that one. Okay, so that movie, the two thousand eight Iron Man, is the thing that first kind of directed you towards an initial physics degree. Yes, I did. I did it for like a, I did it until my third year and realized that. Oh, maybe it's not too good an idea to just start a degree because you just love a movie. <laughs> <laughs> But it's it's a cool thought. I wonder how many people have got into different degrees because of these pivotal movies or these things that they watched as a kid that really sparked their interest and then followed up. It would be so cool to try to figure that out. It is actually、uh, very interesting because it,、uh, that was actually a, a research about.、Um, Actually, having uh, uh, there was a course in Eastern Kentucky、uh, University in the States, I think, and that what that research was about professor trying to reframe an entire course on、uh, on weather, and they and he named the course Hollywood Weather. Okay. So he talks about all kinds of atmospheric science, but using movies as example. For example, the day after tomorrow. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then the feedback was great. There was one note that even some、uh, students considered. Getting geology as a major because of that course. Wow, that's so cool. So、uh, it actually shows that it could 
opened up a lot of possibilities because the imagination and the creativity in movies could be so captivating that um, people are drawn into wanting to know more about what's going on and then they end up into science just because they have that initial love mm-hmm. for that pop culture. Oh, that is so, so cool. Okay, so you watched Iron Man, you went into physics, and then what's next? I, uh, I did a degree in psychology. Okay. Because in my third year, it's probably probably the course uh, quantum mechanics that got me be like doubting myself. It's like, what am I doing with this? This is so hard, mm-hmm. especially with the math. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't it's consider so myself a math person. Uh, I love this, like the theory, but it's it's uh, it's unavoidable that you need to get into the math for physics degree. So um, I ended up thinking because my initial my initial wish was to if I'm good enough in physics, maybe one day I can help create something similar to the Iron Man suit. Mm-hmm. But I realized that I probably wouldn't be able to do so because I may not be have that skills or have that ability to do so. But maybe I could do something better, which is inspiring and helping people in the future to do that. There are a lot of bright kids who are a lot of our future generation is so bright that they will possibly be able to do so in the future. And what if I get them in there and they were able to do that for me? That's a <laughs> lovely. So I, 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 have a, yeah. I have a, a switch of thought of getting into uh, science communication, science education. Mm-hmm. And I figured because science education, it wasn't really a thing back home from in Hong Kong, okay. which is where I'm from. So I got into a psychology degree and then I ended up here at UBC doing science education now. Mm-hmm. Um, did you do your psychology degree in Hong Kong? or Also in Hong Kong. Okay. And what did that focus on? Was that a master's? or a... It was a master's yeah. degree. Uh, my thesis was on uh, movies as well. But oh, it was so cool about uh, how movie spoilers could potentially affect people's interest in getting to watch the movie. Because that was the time when the, I think the Marvel Infinity War Endgame movies coming out and the Marvel fans be like, oh, don't spoil the movie. Yeah, it's yeah. so important. Just keep it a secret after you watch it. And I was just so fascinated by that idea. So I get into looking at different types of movies, see if... If you spoil them, I mean, the plot, would it actually decrease or increase people's interest in actually watching them? Mm-hmm. And what was what was the result? Do you have like a one sentence on on what you found from the spoilers? Well, I ended up doing uh, doing a lot of different genres. And I would say it depends, really. Wow, that's so interesting. For example, uh, the results that I found, I wouldn't I wouldn't say my my. Research was really rigorous because it was my first uh, research. Okay. So, but the but the general trend that I found was that if you're going for an action type or action adventure type of movies, it may not affect people's uh, wish to watch the movie, even if it's if they're being spoiled, because they are in for the action. They are in for the uh, uh, for the what's that called for the. Special effects. Okay. For the special effects. Yeah. But if you're doing like a more like a horror or like a drama, a horror, I think it's a horror, thriller, or, or suspense movie. These kind of genres, people are more into the plot itself. Mm-hmm. So if you spoil it, then possibly they will not be like as interested to watch. So that's the general tendency that I found. Um, but I think a lot of great researchers out there are looking into more. 
definitely. Yeah, that's really cool. What a cool evolution of kind of where you ended up where you are now in terms of looking at how this pop culture impacts. Yes. Impacts people. That's really, really interesting. Is there a reason that uh, you looked at movies in general or or were you interested in all types of pop culture and then focused in on movies initially? I feel like a lot of pop cultures end up being movies. Because okay. for comics, uh, a lot of Marvel was basically was basically a comic yeah, absolutely. universe, yeah. and they end up being movies. So, uh, for example, if I'm talking about Iron Man, am I actually talking about movie or am I actually talking about a comic? It's mm. not that sure. Mm-mm. So, we're, I would just generalize them as pop culture. But I would say, if in the in the space of science entertainment, a lot of people are looking at video games as well. So oh, okay. that's another big. Uh, niche that people can a big area that people can look into which is if you're incorporating uh, movies that talk incorporating science uh, incorporating sorry incorporating video games into the science teaching could it possibly affect that's another research area um but i personally don't play a lot of video games (laughs) i do Mm -hmm. watch a lot of movies so that's why i get perfect yeah yeah that's awesome because you've kind of got the personal investment as well as you're really interested in the research itself and so it's it's good. It makes for for enjoying your degree. And, and good... movies are more accessible now. Mm-hmm. Just look at everyone. She's just pull their phone and, and the, on the bus. And you have Netflix and different kinds of streaming services. Mm-hmm. It's unlike, like, because some research I read were like 20 years ago. And they were talking about, oh, if you want to teach us, teach your science class with movies, first you need to go to a DVD store and get a DVD. <laughs> 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 it's true. Oh my God! Yeah, the accessibility must have changed this completely. And that, uh, that was like a serious uh, research. And seriously, there was one point that they know. Oh, what to note for if you want to teach science with movies is make sure there's tech support and there's no tech failure when you're trying to play that DVD. <laughs> <laughs> but we don't have that make problem. Make sure the DVD is not scratched. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's like now yeah, everything's yeah. just so accessible for movies, and I think it will continue to be. Uh, something in our daily life that will keep getting attention and people and hopefully become a channel where people will be uh, getting in touch with science and maybe develop uh, education or career out of it. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious in our pre-interview process, um, you had mentioned that when you had initially come for this master's degree here in in science education, you were initially looking at the use of movies in classrooms and then had to pivot because of COVID and yes, people weren't yes. in class anymore. What was that process like? So at first, yeah, I did wanted to look at like if I'm doing a, a, like, say, for example, an experiment uh, in a classroom and actually trying to find if movies in class would help with uh, learning. Uh, that would really take some school's commitment or teacher's commitment in order to able to pull it out logistically. Mm-hmm. But then, that was last year, and then COVID hit again. I don't know for how, which ways. But then uh, me and my, my supervisor and I was talking about it, and we were like, oh, maybe it would be better if I try to think about a research that could potentially avoid this problem because I would not like to graduate late or have my research stuck because of... Uh, of this logistical problem. Mm -hmm. So I just immediately think about online space, which is something that is very accessible to everyone now. There are a lot of hidden gems or hidden data up there that can be found. It Mm -hmm. is just that, for example, the YouTube comments are in public domain. I wouldn't even need 
ethics approval to to look at them, right? Because everyone can go online and look at them. Mm-hmm. So it is something just there. Thousands of comments, or even hundreds of thousands of comments for some videos, but inside are something that could be very interesting, very very beneficial to learning. But we just have to pull it out mm-hmm. because you know YouTube have that pinned comments feature, mm-hmm. but YouTube algorithm just pinned comments that possibly are just funny, possibly just get a lot of likes because people just make incredible jokes, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, what if? For these educational videos, the YouTube algorithms decide to have the top comments as these most useful or most pedagogically uh, interesting uh, educative comments. That's really cool. Because um, in I think in in information studies, which is uh, where my another committee, like thesis committee professors from, is that there's something called paratext. Which is, for example, if you are having a DVD again, <laughs> you look at the back. There's a description. Okay. And these description could potentially affect how you view the movie. Yeah. And how you make a decision regarding it. But when you're opening up a video, the first thing that you see is the title. The second thing you see is the description.、Mm-hmm. The third thing you see is possibly if you scroll down is that top comments.、Mm-hmm. So if people look at these first, how could it potentially affect the way they view the videos afterwards?、Mm-hmm. It is something to think about. I haven't looked into it yet, but it's something that I will possibly like further my conversation and discussion with my supervisors as well.、Mm-hmm. That's very cool. And are you hoping that the outcome of your research? Will be to influence the way these comments are posted. Are you looking to influence kind of the way people use movies in their teaching? What's what's your thought on that? I think what I will end up doing, like, or end up hoping people can take away from it, is that first of all, movies are pop culture. It's something that could potentially be useful in science teaching and learning. Science shouldn't always be serious. It shouldn't be always about textbooks, doing math, and then trying to get a lot of work done. It could be learned in a very casual manner, which is this is the way. This is why I love informal STEM learning or STEM education.、Mm-hmm. After school events, science outreach is something I'm super passionate about because in this casual environment, people can possibly take away something while really having fun. So that's one of the takeaways that. I would love people to have, and the other one regarding more、uh, particularly about the YouTube science videos is that there are a lot of videos like these, but in these comments, potentially, if you really take some time to look at them and not just look at those jokes, they're possibly something that you can learn as well. Because,、mm-hmm. for example,、uh, in my preliminary analysis、uh, for the quantum tunneling features,、uh, quantum tunneling topic, some comments actually highlighted a fact that. Both video creators on both channels never talked about, which is because for quantum tunneling we're talking about individual particles,、mm-hmm. but we as people are made of quadrillions of particles.、Mm-hmm. Now, what if some of your particles manage to went through, some of them don't, and you get stuck in the middle? Oh my god! <laughs> because if you look at that, if you look at that probability wave, there's a possibility. That your particles could end up in the middle of the wall as well. That、okay. is something that both creators didn't talk about, but people came up in the comments. Oh, so cool! And they weren't even in discussion; they were just talking about it in the in the in the chat in in the comments individually. And then it ends up being a theme that can be drawn out, and then pull、uh, as, and then we can look at. It's like that's why I think that 
even though people may not be actively engaged in conversations, but after viewing the video, people have common thoughts. Mm -hmm. And these thoughts could be something potentially useful for educators if they decide to, oh, I will have my class look at a YouTube video and then in comments, if these kids end up looking at them and they could possibly learn something new. But the tricky part is we have to make sure these things are not misconceptions. Mm-hmm. Or else they would keep learning something wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it brings a whole other aspect into how do you kind of make sure that all the information coming from it is is true. That's absolutely right. And I'm sure managing the comments is not kind of an easy thing to do by any means. I don't think a lot of uh, channel creators still manage their own comments. Okay. It's like they get someone to do it or they just don't reply at all. Okay. I do personally try to reply as, as often as, as I can, mm-hmm. but uh, I can imagine for people with a million subscribers, yeah. they're probably getting tens of thousands of comments a day. Yeah. It's impossible to do that. Yeah. yeah. It's too much time. How did you get into <laughs> making YouTube videos? Well, uh, it's actually something that I have been thinking about doing when I just decided that, oh, I w- I'm into science, education, and communication. I just took that leap of faith. I didn't really have a tripod back then. So I just stacked up a bunch of stuff at home. So I got my cabinet, everything, my my uh, box, my shoebox, <laughs> and then something just stack up and make my own tripod. Mm-hmm. I have a very old camera. I just made it with poor audio, of, of, uh, of course. And now I just looking, I just look back to my first video. The quality is really bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I'm glad I started because it got me making the second one and the third one. And now I think I'm in my 60th video. Oh, that's so exciting. Uh, and even now I'm super busy. I'm working and studying at the same time. I still find time to do that because I think it's something that uh, I enjoy doing because I learn a lot while doing the research as well. Mm-hmm. It's fun since since we've started this podcast I mean if you go back and listen to the first one it's a similar thing where the audio quality isn't quite there and we're still figuring out how to do the editing and that kind of thing and since then I've talked to I mean you as well as a a bunch of other folks who've been through this transition as well where you're first trying out things and you don't really know how the audio is going to work um, I talked to this one group. This is something that I mentioned kind of in a previous podcast, but I talked to this one couple who wanted to document their travels and trying to get audio effects. And they would like be in a hostel hiding under the covers to try to muffle all the sound and like speaking into this microphone. And so we were joking about if you walked into this hostel room and you see these people doing this and you're like, what is going on? <laughs> <laughs> you have no context. So it's, anyway, it's quite cool to talk to people now that, now that I've tried this because this is my first experience yeah. with creating anything like this. Um, it's really cool to see that learning curve of, of how it evolves and how good you get. And often there's a lot of passion behind it too, which is really cool. And I think a lot of like, uh, one thing that I, I, I think a lot of people could be inspired by uh, uh different science communicators is that they could possibly become one as well. If they're really passionate about about a topic, all you can do, you could do your research on your own through like Google and different, different sources. And then if you end up learning about something, share with someone through different platforms. It could Mm -hmm. be YouTube, 
And I you know people now like Instagram and TikTok in particular. Mm-hmm. TikTok's supposed to be huge for science communication now. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so these could be platforms and because these could be short content. You could just make a 15 or 20, 30 seconds video and you could share something amazing with your friends and end up reaching a wider or even global audience because mm-hmm. you never know what the algorithm thinks. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, so cool. Okay, so we're running a little low on time now. So I'd love to ask you some of um, the rapid fire questions that we have. And the idea behind this is that you try to answer them in one sentence if you can. Um, And I say this every time. I'm pretty bad at it. I may ask follow-up questions because I'm interested. But uh, we'll do our best and we'll try to cover a couple different topics um, in in this short period of time here. So the first question is, what's something that you're most proud of? Starting my YouTube channel in the first place, making my first YouTube video. That's incredible. Science. Yeah, that must have taken um, a pretty good deal of, of motivation, but also you're putting yourself out there and, and a bit more vulnerable than you would normally be, right? Especially you have no idea how people will react or would there be any people to react at all? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, oh, that's great. Um, what's your favorite topic that you've covered on your YouTube channel? Uh, it was a it was it was a couple of videos, and they were about the movie Tenet by Christopher Nolan. Mm-hmm. So it's oh, a I sci-fi movie, yeah. and I was talking about the possibility of reversing entropy or reversing time in real life. Mm, I want to watch that video. That's so cool. <laughs> and I, I will just tell you, just a little spoiler. So you're telling me there's a chance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's always about probability and chance. Yeah, that's so great. Um, and then finally, do you have a takeaway that you'd like to leave the audience with? I would say never consider science as a very serious subject. Consider science as magic. Because... Science, because our ancestors could possibly call it magic. We just call it science now. Mm-hmm. That's very cool. Yeah, I love I love this idea of science not being too serious and getting this emotional investment in it. And it just draws people in and brings people together as a community. So Yes, yes. It is mm-hmm. just way more fun when you're not constantly thinking about assignments and schoolwork. Mm-hmm. Just consider every time... You go online, watch a movie, see what interests you, Google that, learn something about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, actually, that's how I got started in the first place as well. I love it. I love it so much. Thanks so much, Conan, for being on um, the podcast. This yeah, was a great so conversation. I love talking to you. This podcast was created with the help of our incredible team at The Unscientific Method. We're your hosts, Beth Castle and Sarah Data. Our storytellers are Sophia Ramirez, Tian Do, and Cheda Swan. Audio editing is done by Candace Sip, Kelly Liu, and Richard Chiang. Marketing and promotions are done by Conan Lee, Eugene Jang, Emily Dart, and Helen Ip. We also have the pleasure of working with Advice to a Scientist and SciCats to create science communication workshops for the young scientists that we have on the show. Thank you to Laura Stankowitz, Candace Ip and Jen Ma for making these happen. And if you want to let us know how we're doing, request something that you want to hear about, or learn more about the workshops, hit us up on social media. 
follow us at the.unscientific.method on Instagram or on Twitter at unscientificubc. Send us a message on Instagram, Twitter, or at theunscientificmethod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Bye for now. Thank you.